Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can be here tonight. Thank you for your, for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you that it's such a joy, Father, to worship you. I pray, Lord, for each and every anxious heart, Lord, every confused heart, Lord, every person, Lord, that's tired, Lord. I pray for every confused heart, Lord. I pray, Lord, that there where we are misled, Lord, about who we are, what we've been doing in life, that you, by your grace, Lord, would come and shine a light. And thank you, Lord, that we know, Father, that each and every button that you press tonight, Lord, everything that you reveal, every uncomfortable feeling we might have, Lord, when the heart starts pounding, Lord, and the things start to come to mind, we know, Lord, that it's a loving Father wanting to come and give life. Like in Lord just said, Lord, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, Lord, but you come to give life. And thank you, Father, that we can deal with things tonight, Lord, however uncomfortable they might be, Maybe hidden they might be, Lord. Maybe there's stuff in our lives, Lord, that we've suppressed that we're even unaware of. But we pray, Lord, that we might respond, Lord, when you start to work tonight. And thank you, Lord, that we can also just have hope tonight, Lord. Thinking about, Lord, a holy, righteous, almighty God, using his people to accomplish his purpose. And I pray, Lord, that every box that we have built, Lord, about the things that you can and cannot do through our lives or the things that you can or cannot use us to do, Lord, that we might shift that aside, Lord, throw those ideas away and allow you to be God, Lord, to direct, to lead, to guide, and to build, Lord, however you want. Thank you, Lord, that you are not looking for perfect people with perfect knowledge and perfect skills. You are looking for willing hearts, Lord, ready to follow when you say go. And may we be that people tonight, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you set the example. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you enable us to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. So our title for tonight, Called and Sent, part three. I'm going to try to quickly recap what we've been busy with the last while. Very important. I'll rather, you know, say it too many times then. Not say it, but really feel God is busy stirring in a certain direction, wanting to come and give momentum in church, wanting to activate us as people and really guide us into what he's called us to do as a church, but also as individuals. Like we said, you know, throughout this last couple of years, a lot of stuff has happened. And unfortunately, one of the postures that we have as people have gone into is a posture of self-perseverance. Uncertain times, economic instability, we don't know what the future holds, so we're just going to see for now that we are okay and we have what we need. And God is saying that's not how he called us to live as Christians. In fact, whenever we go into that mode of self-perseverance or whenever we cling to stuff, Scripture says we live as if God doesn't exist. When we cling to earthly things. Like Scripture says, he worries about tomorrow, the things that you're going to eat, where you do. The Gentiles, unbelievers, people who do not believe in God, they live that kind of life. We don't. We live a life knowing that there is a loving Father that is more than willing to provide. 
But like we say many times, we sit literally next to the provision that God has given us and we don't receive it because we are too prideful to acknowledge, hey, I need help. Like we said, we can look around us tonight knowing that whatever need we have, God has supplied. They are sitting next to you. Whether it's emotional, whether it's financial, whether it's spiritual, whatever the case might be, your provision is next to you. And in fact, God made the church in such a way that he deliberately didn't give certain things to certain people that we might be there for one another and show the world what love looks like. It's not an accident. The reason you have a need is so that someone next to you can respond in love and meet that need so that we can show the world what the love of God looks like. Amen? Very natural thing, a very normal thing, and God has caused it to be that way. But one of the questions we asked that as we look through church history and even the modern church, why is it that we as a church are a bit passive when it comes to the calling that God has given us? Why isn't like the overwhelming sense looking through our church history and looking at the modern church just this willingness of people ready to go and preach the gospel? What is it that's missing? What, what, what is it that we don't understand? And like we looked at Isaiah 6 verse 1 to 8, the first thing that we had to acknowledge is that as a modern church, we have forgotten who God is. We have a God made up by culture. One that's a worldly love, God. Overlooks everything, just not willing to offend anybody. But when we look at scripture, whenever someone encounters God, they don't experience goosebumps. Like Isaiah thought to himself, this is the day that I die. Confronted with the Holy God, who is me? And in the light of the holiness of God, Isaiah realizes who he is. Same with Peter, same with John, same with Daniel, again and again. In light of the holiness of God, we realize how short we fall. And it's out of that place when we see the good news of the gospel, where the response is, here I am, Lord, send me. And we ask the question, do we realize, do we understand what we are doing when we are gathering as a church? Like, have we any idea who we just lifted our hands to? Do we have any idea who we just worshipped? The holy God of the universe, almighty, righteous, holy, loving God. <clears throat> are we aware of that? And in light of that, are we aware of what he has done for us? Jesus Christ on the cross. So that is the one thing, a fear and a love for God that sends us out. That is what allows Isaiah to say, here I am, Lord sends me, without knowing what he's sending him to do, where he's sending him, and for how long. Preemptive, unconditional, here I am, Lord send me. When it comes to the modern church, we want to negotiate with God. No, Lord, I want a little bit more clarity on that. Can't I rather go here? Like we said, instead of saying, here we are, God, ready to follow you, you show us the way. We kind of enter a space where we want to tell God, Lord, this is my five-year plan, and if you can come and bless some of these things, that'll be nice. Utilitarian God. We kind of mixed God with you know, Aladdin's genie in a bottle. We got the two mixed up. God isn't some lamb that you rub and you have your five wishes. No, he's the one that you say, Lord, okay, I throw my five wishes aside. What is it that you want me to do? I lay my life down. I'm ready to follow. So that's the one part. The second part we saw is the love for people. And asking the question, when you look to the world around you and you see the brokenness, what do you feel? 
Do you feel irritated, disgusted? Like, look at what they're doing, you know. They're supposed to know better. As a church, you know, we like to think that we get all worked up when it comes to injustice, but many times it's only because that injustice leads to our discomfort. Not because it's something that bothers God, because it's irritating to us. Because when Jesus looked around, when Jesus saw the brokenness of the world, he had compassion. And he said, the people are tired, they're helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And when we think they should know better, the, the answer is they don't. They don't know the truth, they don't know the love of God, they don't, they don't have a shepherd. That's why they act the way they act. And we have the truth. We follow the good shepherd. We are supposed to make him known. A love for people. And the question is, do we love people in general? Or do we just love our own people? See, because many times when it comes to us praying for the salvation of people, it's only those close to us. Because we care for them. And we see the destruction in their lives. And whenever it is that we seek the authority or power of God to heal or to fix something, it's only for the people in our lives. Because they are sick or they are needing some kind of healing. Or is it the heart that we carry for people in general? And like Jesus said, the answer to the magnitude of the harvest is, let's climb up the mountain. Let's pray to God. And again the question, have we begun to pray? Have we gone up the mountain? Have we wrestled with God and said, Lord, send. Send laborers into the harvest field. Here we are, Lord, send us. And then out of that place, as we also said, another important thing for us to remember, the last couple of weeks, and he shared it so beautifully last week, is that we should allow God to transform us so that when we go out, we don't try to pretend and be something or pretend to do something or pretend to act in a certain way. It's actually who we really are. Asking the question, are you consistent in every area of life? Or do you change where you go? The way you spoke, act yesterday, is it the same? For some of us, when you watch the rugby, how was it? Did you act the same? That group of friends at work, are you the same person, doing the same things? You see, because for many of us, Christianity is, is a tiring thing, man. It's, it ties you down, it wears you out. Why? Because it's constantly trying to be something that you're not. Trying to do stuff that you don't want to do. Trying to say stuff that you don't want to say. Putting up a front because we can't be real. We never change because we don't allow God to deal with who we really are. We allow people to see who we really are. Like we said, let's just be real with one another. Scripture says we all miss the mark. We all sin, we all get it wrong. And like I said, the temptation is there. I experienced it as well. Like I said two weeks ago as well, I don't know why, but me and my wife, we like to fight on Sundays and Wednesdays. Because it's when the church people come over. And the temptation is there to grab her hand when the people enter the door and say, hello, welcome, come in. But God expects us not to do that. And to be real with one another. And like I said, you know, my wife more visibly on her face, you can see when we're fighting. Me less so when people enter and I point and I say, if you're wondering why her face looks like that tonight, we're fighting. But fight. And it's okay, but let's be real with one another. Let's stop the pretense. Well, some people think you're weird, yes. Some people are going to judge you, yes. Well, let's deal with that. 
Let's move on. But let's be real with one another. And let's allow God to change who we really are so that when we go out, we don't have to pretend to be something, but it is who we actually are. But when God calls, let's come. Let's allow him to do a deep work in us. Amen. But now the question is, you know, that is the motivations about why we go out. Now the question is how? How does this look like? How does it work? A process of discipleship. How do we grow in certain areas? And how do we, if we want to disciple those around us, hopefully the people in your family, your kids, people in your small group, there must be a willingness to disciple them. The question is how? How does it work? What model should we follow? How does the system look like? Like we said, we want to get from Mark 1 verse 17 to Matthew 28, 19 and 20. And one of these two calls is for each and every one of us sitting here tonight. Either God is calling you for the first time as it says in Mark 1, 17. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. So for some of us, there's an initial call. We've never responded to the message of the gospel. We've never started to follow God because we grow up in traditional Christian culture. We think we've been following God from birth. But it's not how it works. Somewhere you need to respond to this call. Here I am, Lord. I'm willing to follow. I'm saying yes. And pay attention to what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, follow me and try hard to be fishers of men. He says, follow me and I will make you. It's not a calling to do stuff for God. It's a calling to be with God and allow him to transform you so that you become what he wants you to be. Amen? Not a come and try hard to be. Come follow me. I will make you. But to be close to Jesus. To follow him. Are we following Jesus? Are you close to God? So that's either the one call or if you've been following Jesus, if you've already said yes to the call, then the second call is for us, Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So it's either to be a disciple initially to come to Jesus, or to, as a disciple, go and make other disciples. And maybe just to give us a definition of what a disciple is, what a Christian is, you know, if you can sum it up in basic form, a disciple is someone who, like Jesus, lives and preaches the gospel and teaches others to do the same. That's what a disciple is. That's what a disciple does, a Christian. Someone who, like Jesus, lives the gospel, preaches the gospel, and teaches others to do the same. Very important for all three of those aspects to be there. You don't get disciples who make disciples. A disciple is someone who makes a disciple. You don't get a disciple that only lives the gospel and a disciple that sometimes preaches the gospel and then that other disciples that also make disciples. No. All three aspects need to be there. And again, we've said this many times in church. You know, many times we have the misperception that we can show the gospel to people through our lives. And if... You all to that idea, I would like to invite you forward and you must come and show us with your life, with your body language, the following truth, that we as humans are born dead in sin, 
destined for God's wrath, led by the devil, and Jesus Christ came and died for us on the cross and lived a perfect life, then if we place our faith in him and repent, we receive that forgiveness through the Holy Spirit that resurrects our spirits from the dead and we await to be with Jesus for eternity. Who wants to come and try and charade that quick? It's going to be a bit difficult. It's not going to work that way. It's like the one joke of John and Peter sitting on the train. And John is a believer and he doesn't want to offend Peter, you know, because the world is all very offensive these days. So he doesn't want to tell Peter the truth. He's just going to show him with his life that he follows God. And each day, John tries to be a good Christian and, you know, with his life and love, show Peter that God is there. And a couple of years go by and eventually John sees Peter is down, down and out, man. This guy isn't making it for a couple of weeks now. It's just, he's, he's miserable. And John asks Peter, hey, how, how are you doing? I can see you a bit down and frustrated. He says, yes, man, my life's falling apart. Just tell me, man, where do you always find your joy? You always seem to be happy. And John says to Peter, well, I'm actually a Christian. To which Peter replies, Man, why didn't you tell me that earlier? Because I thought if you can be happy without God, I can be too. You see, we have to proclaim the gospel. We have to share it. The gospel is good news. Literally, it can not be in less than words. The gospel can never be less than words. Our lifestyle should affirm the gospel, but we should proclaim the words to the people around us. Amen. It's intimidating to some of us, but that's how it works. We need to go. The, the Great Commission doesn't say, create a church atmosphere that looks so nice to the world that they come here and get saved. No, it says to the church, we go there. We go and make disciples. We reach them where they are. You see, Ian Bounds in his book, Power Through Prayer, he says it so beautifully. He says, the church is constantly looking for better structures or better programs while God is looking for better men and women we're constantly looking for better programs better structures God is looking for better men and women disciples who say yes to the call willing to go and do what God has called them to do instead of thinking man how can we make church seem pleasing to everybody let's just sing the right amount of songs for the right amount of time and we pick the nice songs that everybody likes and we preach a nice good message that builds everybody up and then we drink some nice coffee and then hopefully that works. No. We are here to follow God. And we sing the songs that give glory unto him. And we preach the word of God. And we enjoy fellowship in truth and in realness with one another. Because we are called to go and reach the world. It was never their calling to come. It was always for us to go. Amen. And we need to do that. We need to be that better men and women saying, here we are, Lord, send us. And like we've been reading through this passage of scripture, more this event, it's an event that plays out in Matthew 9, Luke 6, Mark 3. It's the same event through three different perspectives. And when we put the puzzle pieces together, we see this beautiful outflow of what discipleship should look like. And we're going to read through that. And we already did the first part and the middle part. And we're going to look at the end about how this process of discipleship looks like. And it starts here in Mark 9, verse 35. And it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, 
teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. And he went up on the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called to him, those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and that he might send him out to preach, and to have authority to cast out demons, and to heal every disease and every affliction. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. Then Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place, and a large crowd of his disciples was there, along with a great number of people from all over Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. Then they had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those troubled by unclean spirits were healed. The entire crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Beautiful picture of what discipleship looks like. Like we say, Matthew focuses on certain aspects of it, Luke focuses on certain aspects of it, Mark focuses on certain aspects of it, but when we place it together, we see this holistic picture of what discipleship looks like. And one of the beautiful things that we should note as we work through this passage is that it isn't a complicated thing. Nobody has ever struggled to follow God because it was too complicated. Same with relationships. Relationship is simple. The basic definition of what we are called to do in Christian relationship is simple. Lay your life down for your wife. And for the wife, submit yourself to your husband. It's basically a you first, the consideration of one another. It's a simple thing, but selfishness gets in the way. We struggle to do the things God calls us to do because it's difficult for us to lay down our selfishness, to lay down our pride. Same so with discipleship. It's a very simple thing. All that is needed is intentionality. For us to lay down our selfishness and to lay down our pride. And to sum it up well, I love English for the one reason. Not like the nation. We, we beat them. And luckily Argentina as well. But nonetheless, I like the language because everything, for one or another reason, it, alliteracy. What's alliteracy in English? Alliteration. Easy peasy. I knew that. I was just testing. Alliteration. It's so, it's so nice that whenever you want to sum up thing or some kind of process, it's always the same sounds. It just seems so nice. But for discipleship, if we want to alliterate it, the process of discipleship, it is say, show, send, support. Or say, show, support, send. Either way. I like the support, send more than the send, support. Support, Sing. That is how discipleship works. See, in Afrikaans is it se, weis, ondersteen en stier. Alliteratie werkt net nie so lekker nie. Maar die Engels werk het nou nogal mooi. Say, show, send and support. It's literally how every area of discipleship has worked throughout our lives. Every method of coaching or learning something new, it's how it works. When we were in school, how did the people teach you? 
the teacher comes forward and then they say, this is what we're going to do. Then they show you an example of what that looks like. Then they support you in class as you try to do it on your own. And then they send you home to go and do it on your own. Say, show, send, support. And like I said this morning, if I just knew that that was what they were trying to do in school, I would have done my homework. I just didn't know. I really wanted to, just didn't understand. It was the process of biblical discipleship. But that's literally how everything works. Any sports works the same, any way of life works the same. It's also the same way we're supposed to raise our children and the people around us. But unfortunately in our culture, a lot of saying is going on, but not a lot of showing. Less support and even less sending. Just say stuff and hope they get it right. That's the basics of discipleship. That should be present in our lives. It's the way that we should train those around us and it's the way we should be trained by those around us as well. And you see it starts here with Mark 3 verse 14 to 15. And it's after the motivation is there of the compassion to pray and ask God to send. And as he appointed 12 so that they might be with him. And like we said, when Jesus called, they came as we looked last week. The importance of being with Jesus and allowing him to transform us so that when we are sent out, we are sent out with that conviction, being changed by the one who sends. And he might send them out to preach to have authority to cast out demons and to heal every disease and every affliction. Very clear what Jesus is expecting of his disciples. Very clear commission. And, and, and might I just say, I think we've, we've dropped the bar a little about when it comes to what we can expect of an average Christian. Jesus has kind of set the bar quite high there. And one of the first times that he sends them out in Luke 9 as well, one of the things that's added there is to also raise the dead. Imagine that. Your first mission. Jesus is sending you out the first time and you should preach the gospel, heal the sick, drive out demons and raise the dead. And we just, but Lord, can't we just go give out pamphlets first? <laughs> Ask them to come see you do it. It's a bit extreme. This is a bit extreme. I mean, I'll feel quite intimidated if that is what I have to go and do right now. And the funny thing is, in Luke 9, Jesus sends out the 12, and then in Luke 10, he sends out the 72. But the 72 didn't have to raise the dead because the 12 already did it. There was no dead people alive anymore to raise from the dead, I guess. That's why it went added to that passage of Scripture. But it's quite a high bar. It's quite a great expectation that God has of the people that follow him. Why? Because he gives the authority, he does the equipping, he does the sending out, he gives the authority. And we many times forget that. We many times think that God sends us out based upon our own ability and the things that we think we can do. It's not how God works. But one of the things that we should just realize tonight before we get there is that from the presence of God, there will always be ascending. From the presence of God, there will always be mobilization of people. There will always be purpose. There will always be something to do. Whenever God meets with someone in Scripture, it's always go tell my people this, go and do that, write this. It's never just sit here. And one of the things that we should realize, if we think to ourselves that we've been following God for years, but we've never made disciples, then we've misled ourselves. If we think we've been following God for years, 
and we haven't grown as a disciple and we haven't made disciples, then we have misled ourselves. That is not the truth. And you might have been taught by culture to think about yourself in a certain way, but maybe the initial saying yes to God and following has never happened. You're pressing the buttons on the toy, but the lights don't come on and you're wondering why. It's because the battery isn't inserted. We've missed the first step. We've never responded to God and allow him to come and give new life. And if that is you tonight, just surrender to God. Just cry out and say, here I am, Lord. Use me, guide me, lead me. Come and resurrect. Come and give life. He's not trying to do a lot of stuff so that God can be pleased with you and then he'll accept you or then he'll lead you and then he'll guide you. No, simply surrendering to God and say, Lord, come and have your way. By grace alone, through faith alone. And it's difficult for some of us to acknowledge that we've never started to follow God, but it doesn't happen automatically. There needs to be a day where we decide, yeah, I am Lord. Come and have your way. The day that we die, we follow God. Die in one sense and become alive in another. There must have been a day when the Bible started to not be that boring book that we don't understand, but something that comes alive. Has that happened? Maybe for some of us it has happened, but now we've fallen away again. And then we need to return to God. But as long as we have breath, we have time to draw near. And let's be quick, because tomorrow was promised to no one. Amen? But that's the first thing that we should acknowledge. That if we say we follow God, a discipleship process is the inevitable outflow. Being a disciple and making disciples. So at least the desire to do it. At least the willingness, at least the urge inside of us to grow in our Christianity and to grow other people that follow us as well. Amen? But now the question that we have to stand still at and then we'll get a little bit practical is imagine quickly to yourself that Jesus himself is standing before you and he's saying to you, your name, he calls your name. And he says he's calling you that he might send you out to preach. And he's sending you to have authority to cast out demons. And he's sending you to heal every disease and every affliction. How does that make you feel? When you think you have to go now and minister to people. You can see the scenario playing off. You can picture a couple of ones. But maybe there's a person in front of you and they're asking you the question, Hey, what must I do to be saved? What does it look like to follow God? What is the gospel? How do you feel like in that moment? Maybe for some of us a bit of a weirder one, but you standing in front of someone busy manifesting, you need to cast out the demon, what do you do? No signal. You can't pass to if you do any balmy. You have to do it now. I actually remember once people phoning me, also from a very traditional background, they're phoning me and they say, hey, there's this guy manifesting, we need help. And I almost had the urge to say, but are you a Christian? Because they identify as Christians. And then if they said yes, and I just say, you cast it out. Because as Christians, we have the authority. But what do you feel? What do you experience when you need to go and do that? What's going on in your heart? What's the emotion that you experience? Maybe you feel anxious. Maybe you feel a bit fearful. Maybe you feel unequipped. Maybe you've even said to yourself now that that, that's not something that God will use me to do or call me to do. 
You see, because the sad thing is, before God called, the enemy sold many of us lies. And even before God called, we've already disqualified ourselves by believing a lie that God will never use me to do that. Well, I'm not that type of person. Oh, God will, he'll use them to do that, but I'm kind of a more of a, a here type of Christian. Have you ever said that? Have you ever believed that? Have you ever thought that way? Have you ever said the words, no, God will never use me to? Or he will never send me to? Because if we have, it's not just a mind shift that needs to take place, it's repentance that needs to happen because we've put God in a box. We've limited God by telling him what he can and cannot do with who he created. Can you imagine that? God created us. He knows who we are and he's called us for a purpose. And maybe some of us think to ourselves now, I can understand that God created me to do certain things and understand ability-wise that yes, maybe there was a time that I could do that, but because of certain sins and stuff that I did, I've disqualified myself. Surely back then, but now after I've done that and so many times, surely now I am disqualified. And the truth is, if it wasn't the basis of sin and the stuff that we did, all of us would be disqualified. There'd not be a single person left that would be able to minister to others. But by the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ on the cross, we are able to do what God has still called us to do. And many times we feel ashamed because you had that kind of Peter moment. Just before Peter denied Jesus, Peter actually looked at Jesus and said, Lord, even if all of them run away, I won't. I'm willing to die for you. I'm willing to go to prison with you. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. In other words, in your own strength, you won't even make it through the night. In your own strength, you won't last a day. Come tomorrow, you will already deny me. Power of the Spirit not yet born out. In your own strength, you won't last a night. And imagine this playing off as Peter denies Jesus the third time and the rooster crows. As Peter looks up, who's looking him in his eyes? Jesus. The person that's about to die for his sins. Imagine that. As you deny Christ, you look up and you see him looking you in the face. And Peter runs away. And after Jesus is crucified and the angels appear to the woman, what do the angels say to the woman? Go call his disciples and Peter. Go call his disciples and Peter. The one who ran away, the one who feels ashamed, the one who feels that he's now disqualified to do what God wanted him to do. Go call him as well. And Jesus asked him the three times, do you love me? Tend my sheep, feed my sheep, love my sheep. The thing you, th- you thought you disqualified yourself for, reinstating you again. By my grace, by my forgiveness, you can still do what I've called you to do. You are not disqualified. And some of us need to break the boxes about what God can and cannot do through our lives. And in one sense, man, that's exciting. But in one sense, man, that's also a little bit fearful. <laughs> Makes me a little bit anxious. Because if I say, yes, Lord, wherever, whenever, for how long ever, here I am, send me. What will God say? And that's exciting. It's also a little bit terrifying. He can do what he wants to do, through whom he wants to do it. 
And we know, we've heard it said that God doesn't send the people that's already equipped. But he equips those, he enables those, he gives authority to those who say, here we are Lord, send us. That has a willingness to obey God when he leads. Amen. And we first need to do that. We first need to break the boxes and say, here we are Lord, willing to be discipled, willing to grow. And then God gives this commission. And I can imagine as the following plays out, the disciples are listening a little bit differently. They are looking a little bit differently. See, Jesus has ministered to a couple of people before these moments. He's, he's healed a couple of people. He's raised a couple of people from the dead. He's cast out a couple of demons. And I kind of imagine the disciples thinking, man, it's nice that we are invited along to watch the show. It's quite exciting. But now he says, no, I want you to do the same. And as they come down the mountain and Jesus is ministering, I think they're paying attention a little bit differently. Now that they know that they're going to have to do the same. And as they go down the mountain, it says, Then Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place. And a large crowd of his disciples was there, along with a great number of people from all over Judea, Jerusalem, and the seacoast of Tyne-Sidon. And they come to hear him. Jesus called them to go and preach. They came to hear him. And to be healed of their disease. He sent them to heal every disease and every affliction. And those troubled by unclean spirits were healed. He called them to go and drive out demons. What Jesus called them to do, he demonstrated before he sent them out. He told them, then he showed them. And then he supported them as they were busy ministering on earth, and then he sent them as he ascended into heaven. The process of discipleship. And like I say, I can imagine disciples are listening a little bit different now. And many times we are sitting in an area like tonight, where we can either just receive something, feel a little bit better about ourselves so that God can come and do something in our lives or we can think and listen and look a little bit different so that God can do not only something in us but also something through us so that we can carry this message out tomorrow as well. And when we sit in a small group, we're not just listening so that someone can pray for me or encourage me or give that word to me. No, I'm looking a little bit differently because I also believe that God can use me to do the same in the lives of those around me. And many times we're in the right places, but we just need to shift our perspective. And we are not only here to receive, but we are here to be equipped so that we can carry the truth out to those around us as well. Amen. And where does this primarily happen? In our church. Where is the place where we can tell one another what God expects of us, show one another what that looks like, support one another as we do that, and send one another out? Small group. Is the reason we have small groups. We didn't think, man, we only see one another once a week and we miss one another in the week. Let's meet another day as well. That's also true. Do miss you guys in the week. But there's a reason we have small groups. There's a reason we sit in a circle where we encourage one another. Some of us have different gifts that look different from other people. We have different workspaces, different people in our lives. But there's a place where we can know one another, where we can tell one another what is the things that God is calling us to do, where we can show one another what that looks like, support one another as we grow and then send one another out. The whole key is for all of us sitting here to eventually lead a small group one day. To have a group of people that you are busy training and raising up so that you can send them out as well. 
We want your face to be at the board at the back as well. When new people come in to go and look at your face and think, man, are they going to do well? Must I visit these ones or those ones? Which people look like they have the best snacks? How's the best? But that's the key. That's where we're going. That's where we're heading. Everybody's called to disciple those around us. The question is, are we going to say yes? Here we are, Lord. Send us. And the question is, are we doing this in our friends, our friends group? Are we do, doing this with our families? For those of us who have children, are we doing this with our children? Are we saying our children what it is that God expects of us? Are we showing them what that looks like? Let, let, let me show you what it looks like when dad prays for mom. Let me show you what that looks like. Let, let, let me teach you to do the same. Repeat after me, let me teach you to pray. As the disciples ask Jesus, teach us to pray. Now we're going to send them out. See, the world is a funny place. To say it lightly. It's strange out there. And the question is, when we have our kids, when we have the people around us, are we going to send them out with the truth? Or are we going to release them very reluctantly, hoping that they don't come back too scarred, too damaged? Because there's a difference. But we need to equip the people around us. We need to say them. We need to show We need to support and send out. Amen. We need to allow people to do that in our lives. And then we need to do that in the lives of those around us. Amen. Let's stand tonight and pray together. Yes, Lord, Father, thank you that we can come before you. And just to acknowledge, Lord, as a church... It's been 2,000 years, Lord, since the commission has been given. And yet more than 50% of the population on earth has never heard the name Jesus. More than 2 billion people, Lord, even mentioning the gospel, Lord, they've never even heard about Jesus Christ. And firstly, Lord, we want to repent, Father, of being so stuck Lord and caught up with earthly things kind of gathering up firewood Lord as we know Lord the world and everything in it is going to burn up one day everything will be destroyed and when we look around us Lord and all the material things the lies that the world want to sell us about what, what fulfills what satisfies what gives purpose in life? It's firewood, Lord. It's going to burn. All of it. And we know, Lord, that when we look around us, there's only one thing that's eternal. That's the people around us. Created for eternity. It should kind of give priority, Lord. It should shape the things that we're busy with. Even knowing, Lord, that most of the people we see, Father, will be at the wrong side of eternity. But forever we will live. The question is just where will we live forever? Heaven or hell? And we pray, Lord, that you would just show us, Lord, the urgency, Father, the importance, Lord. We we grow up in a culture, Lord, where we just believe everybody around us is saved. Everybody around us is going to heaven. But you say, Lord, that the way is broad, the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many.
But narrow is the gate. Hard the way that leads to life. And those who find it are few. But we know, Lord, that when we look around us, Lord, few find the gate to life. May it give perspective, Lord. And may we stop gathering firewood. I pray, Lord, that we would lay down our pride, Lord, and that we would submit ourselves to the process of discipleship and say to the people around me, teach me how to pray. Teach me how to read scripture well. Teach me how to share the gospel. Teach me how to facilitate small group, but may we make ourselves available so that you can come and lead and build and guide, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for every emotion stirring in heart right now. If you're here tonight and you are uncertain, if you've ever said yes to God, you don't know. And you're wondering, do I even know God? Have I ever followed? Just there we are, cry out to God. Nobody needs to pray with you. You don't need to say some magical prayer. You need to call upon the name of Jesus Christ. And all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Say, here I am, Lord. Come and have your way. And whatever it is that he lays on your heart, whatever it is that he reveals, be quick to obey. But follow. And some of us standing here, we are reminded of those things that we say that God will never use us in this way. We just limited ourselves in the way we think about what it means to be a disciple or how God can use us. When you become aware of those lies tonight, renounce them just the way you stand. Say, Lord, I'm sorry for, for boxing you in. Saying that you won't use me in this way, you can't use me in that way. Renounce that lie and I say, yeah, I am Lord, send me, use me in whatever way you want. Let's be intentional in reminding one another of what it is that God has called us to do. And let's set the example and let's look at good examples. Let's support one another as we grow. Let's set one another out. But Jesus is building His church. We need to follow. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you for mighty work in our stars. Thank you for mobilization. Thank you for boxes being broken open, Lord. For lies being renounced. For people who feel that they are disqualified, Lord. Hearing the call again, come to me, my son and daughter. Because in Christ you are worthy. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you for your